Am I going to get a text from him after this game saying, hey, man, you should have did this, you should have did that. Now, I have no idea if that's the kind of relationship they have, but I would feel that way. It's- Welcome to the Sports Forecasters Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. This podcast has been created not to dwell and overevaluate what has already happened in the sports world, but to predict and to forecast what has yet to come. From game picks to draft picks, and from trades to free agent signings, we will let you know what happens before it happens. Your hosts, Nick and Nate, will evaluate, study, and understand sports patterns, tendencies, and nuances to better prepare you on what to expect. Just like Weatherman, but way more accurate. So if you like to pick games, or you simply just want to be in the know before anybody else, you are in the right place. Enjoy the show. Welcome, listeners, to the next edition of the Sports Forecasters. As always, this is Nathan Singer and Nick Alvarez. What's going on, Nick? Not a whole lot. Just prepping for summer to come around. And with NBA playoffs midway, we have some news coming up, coming through the pike today as we start recording or planning our recording that changed the gamut of where our conversation was going to go. So where are we going to go today, Nathan? Yeah, I like like you said, it's... We thought we were going to have a little bit of a dry week, but the sports always delivers and always gives us content to talk about. So today we have some huge news in basketball. First and foremost, the Boston Celtics have made some significant changes in their coaching and front office. So we're going to touch on that. And then the biggest news of all, especially because it's near and dear to my heart, Coach K announced his retirement after next season. So he's going to be coaching this season and his assistant coach John Shire will take over after that. So we'll we'll talk about that. But first, the Eastern Conference first round is done. Just like that. All the ga- all the series went four or five games, I believe. So yes, there's one sweep and then I think the rest went five games. So let's let's break this down. Let's talk about what surprised us, uh maybe um what went as expected. So Nick, let's start with you. What what Give us your take on the Eastern Conference. Well, I'm going to start with my surprise. Something we alluded to last week, the Heat series versus the Bucks being a sweep. The fact that the Bucks won wasn't surprising. It was the fact of how they won and just stifling the Heat. I understand that you've indicated several times that the Heat weren't jiving quite as well. You had individuals that didn't seem as focused on the basketball part. They they didn't seem as locked in as they were when they had the bubble. And so that was a series that was surprising to me is the Bucks heat, the Bucks heat series, just how dominant the Bucks were to the heat. Essentially the first game was the first one that gave you some indication that maybe we have a series. I, I originally had to go in seven games. Obviously sweep is completely the opposite direction of what I thought it would go. What surprised you, Nathan? I think what surprised me is the Hawks Knicks, the chippiness and the entertainment wasn't a surprise it actually i think that exceeded expectations that was such a fun series to watch with how they went back and forth and it was really good i just thought that it was gonna be uh, a little bit more a competitive series atlanta more of the offensive power and uh nick's more of the defensive um, powerhouse i just thought this was gonna be back and forth back and forth the offense would dominate one one day but the Knicks defense would dominate the other uh, but it was just really all Hawks the entire time. What really, I mean, the Knicks just, they fell apart. They just couldn't shoot. I I felt like New York 
just watching that that series was just satisfied getting to the playoffs. Like they they've they've achieved their goal. We made it to the playoffs, right? We we haven't done that all year. We they haven't done that in like nearly ten years. They haven't won a home playoff game in nearly ten years, right? And this that's what it was all about, and that's all you heard. And I felt like. They were just okay with that, like that they became complacent. But the Hawks had a hunger to them. Like you don't hear, oh, the Hawks made the playoffs for the first time since blah blah blah. Like they didn't matter. Like even the media didn't even say anything. It's just obviously the Hawks have been a dumpster fire the last several years, but they're hungry and they came out and they they just owned the Knicks. Like they they have their eyes set on some lofty goals and let's now jump to the second round and let's do some forecasting because Embiid's injury sounds pretty serious and may miss some significant time now I believe the Easter conference semis start this weekend so because of all these games and all these series getting done so fast you know Embiid's not gonna have that time to rest the Sixers wanted that Hawks Knicks series to keep going and keep going and go seven games because that will just allow Joel and B to rest, rest, rest. But now they don't get that. So I think that's gonna be a very interesting series now between the Hawks and the Sixers. Um I think it's gonna be a little bit more competitive than we originally thought. Well, we both have had the Knicks anyways going to the next round. But Sixers better watch out because they're they're not the same team without Embiid. I think we all can agree on that. Um but I guess what are your thoughts on that that series coming up? Definitely the complexion of the series changes to what we originally forecast. But for this Hawks 76ers series, yeah, the Embiid injury is very troublesome. The 76ers definitely were the New York Knicks' biggest fan just to get that series extended. With it not happening that way, the complexion changes. Ultimately, I don't think it changes who wins the series. I think the 76ers find a way to put it together again. The Atlanta Hawks, just like New York Knicks, up-and-coming team, very young. Yes, they're hungry, but... 76ers, veteran savvy, their war of attrition. I think they have enough pieces to make sure they string it together. It's definitely going to be a closer series than what originally forecasted. I had whoever is going to win go five games, whether it would have been the Knicks or the Hawks. And I think now with Embiid being out, it changes a few things. It could still only go five, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a six-game series out of this. And honestly, if you're the 76ers, you probably want to do the best you can to keep Embiid off the court to save him up for the conference finals, if at all possible. Obviously, if you start getting in a situation where you're in the must-win mode, where you're down 3-1 or 2-1, then that timetable is shifted. But as a 76ers, if I'm in charge of the team, if we can put it together without having to have Embiid in, I understand Embiid's a big part to our system. but if we can do our best without putting him in and just rest him up until we get to the conference finals, that would be the most ideal situation. And just depending on what Atlanta team you get from this is really going to be determined in that, in my opinion, just because the NBA's the NBA has become more of that league of we're going to heal our superstars as much as we can until we absolutely have to pull the trigger on it. The Warriors series against the Raptors a few seasons ago was evidence of that. And then just how the NBA regular season goes where your superstars sit out and they don't really press themselves into action unless absolutely needed. But what are your thoughts on it, Nathan? I don't I don't think they can afford to just sit and beat in this series. The Hawks are a real threat. 
Clinton Capella is a real threat down low, and they need Embiid to match up with him. I, I'm not sold on Dwight Howard being able to match up with Clint Capella um, or any of their other bigs. Um, they need Embiid. I think if Embiid's not in there, they're at risk of losing this series. And just like the Lakers are right now without Anthony Davis, um, Embiid's valuable to the Sixers. And um, when he got hurt, the, the Sixers did struggle this year. And, I mean, they lost game four to the Wizards. He was hurt. And it wasn't like they won uh, game five uh, super easily. I mean, if it wasn't for Seth Curry's um, crazy performance, they could have been playing at game six. So they need Embiid. Unless they have another crazy performance by players to win a game. But the Hawks' defense has improved tremendously. Nate McMillan is my coach of the year. Uh, Monty Williams is going to win it if he hasn't already, who's also very deserving of it. But Nate McMillan is a very excellent coach. And he turned, he well, ever since he took over when the as the interim coach, I mean, he went from, took the Hawks from 11 seed to a 5 seed. And that defense is stellar. I'm I'm a Hawks fan. I'm a Trey Young fan. I mean, it, regarding like clutch point guard shooting, I got Steph, I got Dame, and I got Trey Young right there. So, I I would be concerned if I was the Sixers right now. I would really be concerned. This Hawks team looks dangerous. But let's jump to the next semifinal, which I think is a probably. I, I would imagine the winner of that one would be be the Eastern Conference. Uh, championship representative in the finals it's the bucks and the nets so i obviously i was wrong with the heat there but i don't even want to talk about that anymore um i bet they make some big big changes next year in their roster but let's talk about that series here what 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 are your what are your predictions what are you forecasting with the the nets and the bucks well what i forecast first and foremost is a trouble with the matchups for the bucks them trying to move themselves around to be in position to try to slow down the Nets' big three. They were, with the exception of the one game the Celtic week passed them, they have been looking very efficient. James Harden has been doing an excellent job scoring, at least in the last game, 30-plus points, and then the other games were very close to that. Kevin Durant may not be scoring at a higher rate than him. He's not the top scorer in his team, but that's a luxury of what their team is composed of. Him, Kyrie, or James could be that top scorer. So I see the Bucks having a hard time with the perimeter part of it, where adversely, I see the Nets having a hard time down low. They need to make sure they have that great scheme. to. You're not going to shut Giannis down, but to slow him down to keep him from getting that lane to just drive to the hoop and dunk it or just force him to be a shooter. That's going to be their best situation. And so... I see that being more, at first, a feel-out matchup for those first two games in Brooklyn. I could see the Bucks squeaking that first one out, like just stealing it, and then the Nets turn around and steal it. Ultimately, I think the Nets have enough firepower that they're going to overcome the Bucks, but the Bucks' defense is going to be something for the Nets to adjust to. However, the Bucks just don't have enough players to keep all three of them from being a top scorer, being efficient. They just don't have enough defenders to do that. Ultimately, I think the it will be, like you said, the toughest series for the Eastern Conference in terms of what we had on paper and based on everyone being healthy and coming in. So, yeah, I see that one going seven games, but I see the Nets coming out on top of that one. I could even see it maybe squeaking to six games, but I stick to my original pick of saying seven games just because I think that defensive tenacity the Bucks can bring to the situation and the Nets' lack of defensive tenacity from time to time 
will play a factor in that going into seven games. But what do you see, Nathan? I was overly impressed with the Bucks. Uh, I think they really bring the neck the Nets to the to their limits, and they're going to have to bring their A game. But what I saw with the Nets against the Celtics, they lost that game four, and I think there were off the court comments and issues that the the the, the Nets brought on themselves that probably distracted them from that win. But game five, even when they were down. You just, I saw this tenacity and this leadership from that big, the big three. And then they're like, they willed themselves to that win and they're going to do whatever they, they can. And obviously the, the Celtics were shorthanded, uh, but it, it's still the playoffs and it's, it's hard to win because everyone's given their best. Um, I look at the Bucks. I think Drew Holiday was the piece that they needed. But if it wasn't for the Nets big three, I, I think the Bucks are in the finals. At the end of the day, I, I look at matchup by matchup, Kyrie versus Drew. I love Drew's defense. I think he slows down Kyrie. I think Kyrie's slightly better um, overall and definitely better offensively. Um, I look at Chris Middleton, James Harden. Both are great shooters. I question Chris Middleton's defense, so I'm going to take James Harden. And then I look at KD and Giannis. I think Giannis is going to dominate down low. Do- Giannis is just going to dominate, dominate down low. If the Nets can keep him outside and make him shoot, that's the that's the secret to me to for the Nets winning this game. Keep him out of the paint. Get him to the free throw line if you have to to brick his free throws, to brick fifteen to twenty foot shots. Make him shoot, and the Nets will be fine. But if if Giannis is getting anything he wants down low, it's gonna be a long long series. It's gonna be a high scoring series. Um, even though Bucks defense is great, it's gonna be real tough to slow this Nets team down. Um, but I, I still stick with Nets in seven. I'm really looking forward to that series. I think it's going to be a really good one. Right now, I, I'm fearful in Bede's injuries more serious than we're anticipating. And if that's the case, I'm picking the Hawks to win that series. Um, I really love this team right now. And I will, I'm will i having them winning in six. But if Bede's healthy and stays healthy that series, I'm going to take back that pick. But that that's the key for me. So now let's move our way over to the West. The West, things aren't settled yet. All the series are still going as of the time of this recording. Obviously, some of them could be closed up tonight, namely the Jazz series. The rest of them will be going on until at least when this recording is released. So, Nathan, for you, in terms of series that are going, again, these are series that are still ongoing for us. None of them are going to be decided. What are you seeing from one of these series that sticks out to you? What what is something you're like, maybe I need to rethink how things are going for that? Um, it's just the inconsistency in the West. I mean, minus the Jazz, they're the most consistent team. But, I mean, L- L- Lakers-Suns, it's it's like at first you're like, oh, Suns are going to run away with us. And you're like, oh, well, never mind. Lakers are going to run away with us. Now you're like, oh, the Suns, you know, now you're back on the Suns. Same thing with the Mavs Clippers. <laughs> it's just like back and forth, back and forth. It's the Road Warriors there. It's it's crazy. Um and so it's just very perplexing to me to uh, the West is so crazy. Um, it's it's flip flopped. I mean, we we knew from the beginning that we felt like the 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 West was kind of flipped upside down. Where we thought the teams that maybe lower seed like the Lakers per se, and even some said the Trailblazers were due for a run, and like the Jazz and the Suns are going to be early as exits. But the Jazz are the clear favorites at this point. Um, Donovan's healthy. 
Uh, and if he's that's the only game they lost, and he's out, so he's back. And it sounds like there was some controversy there. Uh, I think Jazz would seem to beat uh, with the Suns. I, I don't like their inconsistency. I don't like how much they have to rely on Chris Paul's health. Chris Paul, history tells us, is not the most clutch and the most um, relied upon player. I love Chris Paul, but in the playoffs, just he's not the same. Lakers, I can't. I can't rely on AD being healthy. Clippers, you don't know what team you're going to get there. And the Mavs still don't have no, no defense. And Luka sounds like he's carrying this team. He has the next strain, which is really hurting them. So Jazz just seems to be the team that has the coach, has chemistry, has everything. And I think they're the runaway favorites at this point. So obviously things could be changed by the time you hear this recording because, I mean, the Western Conference is changing every single day. So that's kind of where I'm at. And for me, I would echo that. It just seems like a constant shift and a constant change of things going on in the Western Conference with the exception of the Jazz Series. Like you said, game one, that the Grizzlies stole, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is going to be more serious. But after that, the Jazz have just been thoroughly dominant. And at the time of this recording, they could seal the series up. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, Clippers and Mavs, it feels like no one wants to win. It's just like kind of tossing it back and forth. It just feels like neither team really knows how to win consistently or how to take care of business on the defensive side of the court, quite honestly. Then Nuggets and Trailblazers, that series has been fun in terms of the scoring output. It just Nuggets are looking like the better team, which isn't the team I picked originally. But after double overtime victory over the Trailblazers, I just feel like that series has turned to what you originally said with the Nuggets winning. Jokic is taking care of business. That team is doing well defensively, and it takes Trailblazers to have amazing shooting nights to win and or be in contention of that game. And then Suns and Lakers, last week when we were talking, Chris Ball's shoulder was the question of the week, and we weren't sure if the Suns were going to be able to string anymore. Off air, we thought maybe this doesn't even go to six games. Maybe it only goes to five or so. But then everything flipped once AD went down. And now it's like, can the Lakers string together a game or two? Because now at the time of the recording, they're in a position where they have to win. And so it's just very interesting. The West feels like an NFL playoff situation. Which team is the healthiest is the one that's going to progress the best, which is right now the Utah Jazz. They're the healthiest team right now. So it looks like they're in the driver's seat as long as they can take care of what's in front of them. Those are our thoughts on the NBA playoffs so far. We're not going to really get into round two for the Western Conference simply because the series aren't wrapped up. What are we going to move on to next, Nathan? Let's move on. What to expect in Boston from here on out? So if you ever heard Danny Ainge is stepping down, retiring, I'm not really sure what exactly. I've heard different wordings. Basically, is no longer... The, the, the president of basketball operations for the Boston Celtics. And in fact, Brad Stevens, who is the head coach, is stepping into that role. What I want to, to open this up is, one, Nick, do you think this is a good move? And two, do you think this makes Boston in better shape, the same shape, or worst shape? My first thought at it was, like you said, the wording of what Danny Ainge is actually doing. I mean, it's irrelevant. He's not president of basketball operations for the Celtics. He's been there for 18 years. So the thing that always stuck out about him was besides drafting and trading, he's not, he wasn't really able to get big players. So 
his legacy will be one he can only encapsulate that 2008 championship he ended up getting with the Allen Garnett trades. So now what I'm looking at here is Brad Stevens moving to a brand new position, a position he's never really done. He's been a college coach, a college guy, and then he comes in the NBA. And except for his first season, he made playoffs every year as a coach. So now being the head of basketball operations, I guess for me, I need a clear idea of what that title means that he will do. What will his duties be? But based on him, his ability to recruit and get the best out of his players and stuff, I don't know that this translates as great. If they give him the time, he can find those diamond in the roughs. He can find that talent that isn't the marquee name, isn't the big name, because that's always been the thing that made him a well-respected coach in the college ranks. And in the NBA ranks, he always seems to get the best out of his team, like I mentioned. Only one season he didn't make the playoffs, and that was his initial season in the NBA. He's made it every year since. So he knows how to spot talent. He knows how to get the talent. But with him not being the head coach anymore, I don't know if he's going to get the most out of that talent. And will they get the next guy in there? That's the question. I'm not sure. So my initial thought is if they give him time, yes, he can find success in it. Because Brad Stevens, up to this point in his professional career as a coach slash soon to be head of basketball operations, I see him finding a way. But it's only if the franchise is willing to be patient. Boston isn't the most forgiving. So I'm just going to say yes to stay with the consistency of what he does. I think coaching is really what his calling is, but he wants to give this a whirl, so we'll see how it goes. So I'll say yes, he ends up finding it. They'll try to build the foundation. I think they'll be a better franchise when this move is all settled in. Maybe not the first year, but within the next five years. What do you have, Nathan? So I think we you know, the thing we agree on is that they're going to be better. Um, I think we disagree on a, a few things, though. So. Um, on why they'll be better. I don't. I think Danny Ainge gets should get a little bit of credit. I think he made some great moves and got a lot, way more value out of them. I mean, when he traded away K, uh, KG and Paul Pierce to the Nets and got like a ton of draft picks when they were way past their prime. Obviously, the Celtics won that deal, um, and he obviously brought in KG and Ray Allen to win that championship. Um, as well, and, and obviously got Doc Rivers to coach that team. You know, obviously he he had a lot of success, but I think what had happened towards the end, he you know that it was rumored Kawhi Leonard was going to go to Boston, he didn't. It was rumored Anthony Davis was going to go to Boston, he didn't. It, you know, it was rumored all these as you uh, noted. You know, these these marquee names the last couple of years just they just never went there. They couldn't get the free agents. I'm starting to wonder if maybe Boston's not really a basketball town. Maybe that's a play a place where basketball players don't like to play per se. I I don't know. I just find that very interesting because it's not like Boston didn't have a ton of draft picks and resources to trade away. Maybe maybe Danny Ainge was being a little bit greedy and and wanted to win the deal just as bad as he won the Nets deal. You know, like you can't win you can't win every trade that big. So I don't I don't I don't know what the behind the scenes were there to me, Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens is one of the smartest basketball minds. I think this game has ever seen to take a team like Butler, you know, and we've seen these Cinderella stories, the VCUs and the Wichita States and George Mason's, you know, back in the day, but those are always these one hit wonders, right? But Brad Stevens took Butler to the national championship. And then he, did the same thing the year after that it's it's like it was nothing to him 
It wasn't a one-hit wonder. He clearly knew what he's doing. He spotted the diamond in the rough talent in high school, brought him to Butler. Obviously, Gordon Hayward has a nice NBA career amongst other players that he's coached. And so he can spot that. And I think that's fantastic. I think what he struggles with is coaching grown men in a professional NBA, professional basketball. I think, to me, he's not fit for that. You know, for lack of better words, he's a little bit too nerdy for that. And it's just, it's not like coaching 18 year olds, 19 year olds, 20 year olds. It's, these are grown men with families, with kids, with wives, with maybe some troubled pasts that he's not used to. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just, to me, it the fit was never really there. I, I never felt like it was Brad Stevens teams. I felt like, Oh, Brad's a great coach, and he probably makes this team pretty good, but never great. And clearly that showed. Um, I think Danny Ainge brought him a ton of talent and draft picks, and obviously they got Jason Tatum and and, and Brown and, and Campbell Walker, but like Kyrie left and um, Gordon Hayward left. It's just they couldn't retain that. And so I don't know who's that on, but – I think Brad Stevens, as I said before, is, has an, I, an IQ that's higher than anybody's in the game. And you can't just let him go. And I feel like Danny Nage has been there long enough. They need someone fresh in that position. You put Brad Stevens in that role. I, I don't think he's... I don't think he's fit for coaching the NBA, but I think he's much better fit to be running an organization and... Sh- Finding talent because that's what he did at Butler. He was able to find the diamond in the rough, find the talent that everyone overlooked, because he's so smart and and went to back to back national championships when really he shouldn't have. So you know, college basketball is not just coaching; it, it's it's recruiting and putting a team together and and finding what fits right. A lot, you know, coaching the NBA is just coaching it's not the other things I think he does the other things a lot better especially with grown men and so I think he's going to be very successful in this position I like the Celtics move I like what they did here now they just need to make the right hire at coach but Brad Stevens gets to make that choice which is very interesting because I I think he's very smart and I think he's going to pick the guy that he thinks is going to be best to lead this team which kind of leads me to the next topic talking about replacing head coaches and successors, Duke basketball's Coach K announces his retirement. Obviously, this comes as a shock to all of us, um, but particularly with me because going to school there and everything and being a fan, you know, Coach K is the reason I, I uh, followed Duke even before I went to school there. And uh, though I knew the time was coming, it actually came a little later than what I anticipated. Um, I, I guess I want to talk about this for a little bit, Nick. I want to hear your thoughts. Um, Coach K leaves. They already have the successor. He's going to be Coach K's going to coach one more year, but his his successor, John Shire, sitting on right by him on the bench all this year. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this, where the guy announces a retirement a year in advance. I've seen that, but not only that, they already know his successor, and he's sitting right by him on the bench. I think it's a very cool and interesting and unique situation. I want to hear your thoughts and what you think's going on, or what you think uh, what you think about all this, and and how you think Duke basketball is going to be for the next several years 
First and foremost, fantastic career from Coach K. Hopefully this year can be that John Elway-esque delivery. I know you as a Duke fan would love that as well, to where they could be a champion right off in the sunset as a champion. Like you said, I think him doing it is classy one, but them having letting future recruits know who they're, they know who it's going to be, but having their replacement ready, that way there's no doubt. That way when you are recruiting top talent, because that's what Duke does. Duke is in contention with those other top programs to get these top talented individuals out there that are getting ready to graduate high school or finish up their last few years. So having that stability shows or gives confidence to young men looking to see where they want to take their talents to. So for me, I think that move is superb. The best thing you could do for your program. In the end, I think Duke has been a program that's been very good about keeping their alumni close, putting people through the system. This is an individual, like I mentioned off the top, that's been a part of this program in the coaching capacity for the last eight seasons. So I think they're going to be fine. Will they have what Coach K brought to it? Absolutely not. John Shire and the Duke program, the biggest thing is you need to really emphasize that stability to those college recruits. Make sure the guys you do have on that campus believe in what's going on. So really, it's going to be a big selling job these first few years. But I do think they didn't just pick John Shire lightly because Coach K could have made this announcement. They'd be like, we're going to go on a coaching search. We're going to go through everyone and make sure we have the best one. Coach K gave a stamp of approval. And so I'm going to go with Coach K's notion because the man's been so successful over these seasons that John Shire will find success in the college program. What do you have, Nathan? Like I alluded to earlier, I think it's a very peculiar situation to not only announce your retirement, announce who's going to succeed your position. And he's sitting by you all season. And I'm sure this was in the works for years. I'm sure this was like John Shire, because John Shire has been an assistant coach for, I think we talked offline about eight years now. So definitely the last few years, I'm sure Coach K and John Shire's had a conversation I know John Shire, actually, he um, interviewed for head coaching positions this past offseason, but ultimately never got any of them. And so I think this is all just, this is all planned. Um, I think this is all happening, you know, for a reason. And I think Coach K really looks up to, to John Shire and wants him to be that coach. Now, am I sold? No. You can't ever replace a legend. It's impossible. I do expect the Duke program to dip a bit because you can't replace a legend. Um, even if he gives his stamp of approval on a guy, it's hard to replace a legend. I want to talk about kind of one thing here um, because I think the main reason this had happened, because I, I think Coach K and even Rory Williams had a, at least a couple more years left in the tank, but... I feel like both of these guys are retiring a bit earlier than probably what they could have. And I really think it's due to, to COVID. And I think the, um, the stress and the anxiety and the unknown and the fear of this past season for them and the restrictions and not knowing what's going to happen, it's just they, they already do so much as coaches with the recruiting. You know, they're recruiting kids at age 14, 15, getting programs, you know, setting up practices, helping these kids on and off the court and, and academics and getting them to the NBA, especially these two programs who 
develop a lot of NBA talent. It's a lot. And then with you add COVID there, you I mean you're not able, you know, it's hard to recruit because you can't go to their games. You can't, you know, you can't go to these seniors, juniors and seniors games to recruit. You can't um, visit them and talk with them and build relationships with them. And it's just, and then of course you just fear for their, their own health. You know, obviously COVID has a much, um, much higher impact, negative impact on older people. And obviously Roy and coach K aren't, aren't young. And so just all of that put together, I think it just wore them out. It just kind of drained that gas out of their tank a lot quicker than I think, than, and then um, what they originally planned. I think they had enough gas in that tank to go a couple more years, but I think what the season this, this past season was like, I think it drained them completely. I think Coach K would probably rather be done this year. I truly do believe that. He just he seems tired. I thought he was going to leave after his all his back surgeries he had a couple years ago. He never did. Just these last couple years, he, he his demeanor just seemed like he was done. But I think what he's doing, he's doing this for John Shire. He's doing this to ensure this program is handed off properly, professionally, and he gets to to be a part of that transition as, you know, as long and as much as possible. I think that can be a very good thing. It could also be a bad thing. I think it could put some unneeded pressure on John Shire because John Shire is going to think differently. He's going to do things differently. He's going to obviously do a lot of the same because he was mentored by Coach K and coached by Coach K, won a championship with Coach K. But he's also going to be a different coach, a different guy, different philosophies. He's going to do things different. And replacing a legend who's going to be there the whole entire year, knowing that you're going to take over, I think could put a little bit of pressure on John Shire, which I'm a little concerned about. That's why I think he's going to dip because in the back of his mind, is he going to be like, oh, what would Coach K do? Is he watching this game? Am I going to get a text from him after this game saying, hey, man, you should have did this, you should have did that. Now, I have no idea if that's the kind of relationship they have, but I would feel that way. It's like I'm replacing my mentor, my you know, the guy I looked up to. So I just, I just hope that this transition is, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Coach K actually gives John Shire the reins this year a lot, allow him just to be him and develop his coaching skills and just discover who he is as a head coach and not put that pressure on him. I think if he's able to do that, I think this could be a very successful transition. And maybe you see this more often, especially in the college program where a coach announces a retirement before the season, but have the successor picked out sitting there to kind of hand that off. If it works, you could see that more often. If it doesn't, well, Duke's going to have a, a long several years uh, ahead of them. But I guess that's my take on it. You're starting to see, you know, college basketball seems to have the longest tenure coaches out of any of the major sports in America, both college and professionally. It's just the Jim Beheims, the, the, the Jim Calhouns, the Rory Williams, the Coach K's. And now I think people like the Bill Sells are going to be there forever. And it's just 30, 40 years. It's, it's quite, I mean, it's, it's longer than people work full time in a career for a company these days. So I think, uh, I think you won't see much of that anymore. I think you're going to see coaches bounce around a little bit more and not stay with a, a, a program that long, which is which is sad. That is my take, and um, 
as a Duke fan, I'm, I'm excited, but sad. Knew this day was coming. I think it'll be a, a good new, a change of scenery for Duke and, and see where this program goes. I hope I hope it works <laughs> as a Duke fan. So. Well, I think that's that's about it tonight. Yep, that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you so much for joining, folks. This has been Nathan Singer. I'm Nick Alvarez. We are the Sports Forecasters, and we'll talk to you next time.